0: So this, this topic, our faith journey, is one that uh, is, it, it's one that's, that's built on the foundation of the life of Abraham. So let me introduce that to you this way. God called Abraham to embark on a long faith journey. It ended by God changing his name from Abram to Abraham. He was called to go and to do things completely foreign to him. In this journey, he would learn to wholly depend upon God, live by faith. Every journey has a starting and an ending point. The Bible says that God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan. The physical journey lasted only a few months. But let me suggest to you that his spiritual journey had a different starting and ending point. The starting point for all spiritual journeys starts not in a physical place but with the condition of our hearts which directly affects our relationship with God. That starting point for all of us is rebellion in our hearts. And the final destination? Allegiance To God. This journey is only accomplished by faith working through love. It's a lifelong journey of obedience to God's commandments. The faith that Abraham possessed was not just a mere understanding that what God said was true, his life of consistent trust and obedience reveals that his life was built on faith that was formed by actually knowing God as a person. Abraham believed God. His faith was not in a doctrine or a creed but in a person. God even called him his friend. How did this man become such a man of faith? What did his faith journey look like? Was it one victory after another with no defeats? Or did he struggle like the rest of us? Abraham's story is recorded in Genesis 12, chapter 12, and it goes all the way to chapter 25, 14 chapters. I'm going to only pick a few highlights out of each of those chapters, but I think when we get to the end, you're going to see that if Abraham could be a man of faith, we can be men and women of faith also. Now, I, uh, I want to pause right here and ask God to be with us in a special way. I know we've had prayer. But what we're talking about is a faith journey, not just any faith journey, your faith journey. Where are you spiritually? Where is God at in your life? How do you relate to it? And as we look over the life of Abraham, I believe the Holy Spirit will direct you in thinking about your own life. You see, you're not dependent upon the speaker. You're only dependent upon God. And as we go through the life of Abraham, the Holy Spirit will take you on a journey that will be most beneficial for you personally. But he won't do that unless we ask. So I want to pause right now, and I want to ask... And as I pray, you pray. Father in heaven, you know our situation. We're on this faith journey. We have failed you miserably over and over again. So many times we look in the mirror and we, we say, "Oh, how in the world could I, how can I even hold my head up and talk to you? You know what's going on inside me." And yet, Lord, you know us the most. You love us the most. You pity us, and you want to draw us out of where we are to where we can be in your power and help. So as we go over this life of Abraham, Lord, I pray that you will move upon us in a way to personalize what we need so that we can move to the finish line like he did. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. This is where the story picks up. Uh, Actually, Abraham is introduced in the last part of chapter 11. But in chapter 12, it starts off with God's call to Abraham. God calls him to go to a place he's never been. He wants him to go to Canaan, the promised land. Now, we don't know, we know what God said, but we don't know what Abraham said because it's not recorded. But it does record what Abraham did. And if you go to verse 4, it says So, Abram, and by the way, I keep calling him Abraham, but his le- name doesn't get changed until later on down the story. But it's Abram, and his wife's name is Sarai. And it later is changed to Sarah. So if I happen to get those crossed up, I'm not thinking about it. You know right now the the truth about that. In chapter 4 it says, So Abram departed as God had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Lot was his nephew. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So Abram starts out on this journey. Probably similar to some of us. Perhaps the Lord was speaking to our heart and for some re- some way, somehow, we made a, de- a decision to follow Christ and we surrendered our life to him. Maybe it was in church and you came forward in a- at a call. Or maybe you studied the Bible someplace else. Or-, or whatever it is, or however it was, you started your journey with God by accepting him. And just like many... When you first come to God, sometimes you think, well, now I'm okay. God's my protector. He's my shield. Is that true? That is true. But does that mean that no trouble will come upon you when you become a Christian? No, in fact, it's just the opposite. James tells us that we should count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Why? Because it strengthens our faith and it reveals in us the weaknesses that have to be fixed. Abraham is no different. He starts right out just like the rest of us do. He's following God, and it isn't long. In fact, it's it's just a, a few months, and he reaches the promised land. And when he reaches the promised land, lo and behold, what happens? He encounters a challenge. He encounters the fact that In verse 10, And now there was a famine in the land. A famine. How could this be? He's in the promised land, and yet now he is encountering a famine. Well, what does God do with all of these challenges that come upon us? He turns them around, and he works them out in such a way that we will benefit. So Abraham needed a lesson, a lesson in total submission to God a lesson in exercising faith, that's a choice, and a lesson in patience. And he needed to come to the point where he realized that it was God and God only that would provide the protection that he needed. He also needed to realize that when, just because you're in the promised land, when you are in that promised land, your food, your protection, in fact, all blessings from God are still dependent upon him. So Abram decides there's not enough uh, grassland for his animals, and so he decides to go down to, to Egypt, just south of Canaan. And as he's making his way to Egypt, Satan comes in, and he starts to, to get him to think in a negative way, casting doubt. And remember, Satan hates God. And he wants to get us to turn our back on God and to, in every way we can, push him away. So Satan comes in with these negative thoughts. And the negative thought comes in along this way. You know, Abraham, you're out here. There's nobody to protect you. Uh, When you get down to Egypt, they're going to probably want some of the things that you have. And you have very little opportunity to protect yourself. In fact, what is probably going to happen is, is they're going to see your wife. She's a very beautiful woman. And when they see her, they're going to want to kill you to take her. And Abraham starts to think about this in his mind. And he's thinking, now how, can I, how can I prepare myself? How can I protect myself? He doesn't go to God because he hasn't learned that, that he, hasn't, he hasn't developed that habit yet of constantly going to God over every challenge that you encounter. He's still got to learn that. And so he thinks about how he can do this, and he thinks, now, wait a minute. Sarah and I share the same father, but we have different mothers, so she's really my sister. So if I dwell on the fact that she's my sister, I can tell people that she's my sister. And if she tells everybody that that I'm her brother, why, that'll take care of it. Nobody will even wonder about us being married. And so he asked Sarah if she will do that. Now, a half-truth is still a lie. So this is revealing that Abraham has a problem with integrity. Because honesty is a component of integrity. And there's a lot of people, a lot of us, who portray ourselves to be honest who portray ourselves to be a person of integrity. And yet, if the truth is known, we fudge the edges. And God is saying, you can't do that. If you're honest, you're honest. If you're a man or a woman of integrity, you've got integrity. No half-hearted stuff. And so God allows him to go down to Egypt. He tells him the story, and sure enough, the Egyptians find out how beautiful Sarah is, and they get word to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh comes back and takes her into his his house. But God intervenes as he does so many times in our lives. It's recorded here. You know it happened. In your lives, it isn't recorded. But the same God who interceded for Abraham is interceding for you. He intercedes and... He causes a plague to come on Egypt, and especially Pharaoh's. He also allows Pharaoh to know why. And Pharaoh now doesn't want any part of Sarah. And so he calls Abraham in, and he says, Abraham, why did you lie to me? You told me she was your sister. Abraham had nothing to say. I'm going to tell you, as Christians, we represent Christ. In everything we do, we represent Christ. In our business, in, our, in, our, in the way we interact with people, we represent Christ. We have nothing to say when we misrepresent him. If we are finding some, some way in which we are accused of doing something for God and we're doing it in the right way, that's one thing. But if we are not, if we've misrepresented God, that's another thing. And Abraham stood before Pharaoh, silent but rebuked. Pharaoh gives him a a military escort all the way out of his town and out of his country. And now Abraham comes back into into, uh, Canaan. And in chapter 13, as he's coming into Canaan, he realizes that he has a lot of possessions. He has a lot of silver and he has a lot of gold but he also has a lot of animals and they eat a lot and his nephew Lot has a lot of animals and they eat a lot and there wasn't enough room for both of them Abraham's encampment was probably about a thousand people that's a lot of people and so Abraham goes to Lot and now he shows a side of him that's very generous he He says to to Lot, Lot, we're brothers. Not brothers, but we're brethren. We're relatives. This this place isn't big enough for both of us, so I'm going to give you the opportunity to pick wherever you'd like to go. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Lot looked around and he said, wow, it's pretty fertile down there by those five towns in the plains. Sodom looks like it might be a good place to be. And so he chooses Sodom. Now you'll find that in chapter 13, he moves in that area, but by chapter 14, he's moved in town. And then in chapter 14, it records a very interesting story. Four kings from up north come down, and they, uh, the five cities, which have kings in each of those cities, take their men and they go out to to uh, defend their cities and to fight against those four kings, and it isn't long before those four kings defeat the five. Those four kings come in and they just pillage all of those towns, including Sodom, where Lot was. And they take Lot and all that he possesses. All of the people that were left in those towns, they took them up for slaves. Someone escaped and went and told Abraham what had happened. And within Abraham, there was a compassion. There was a sense of justice. And there was a sense and a desire to do something. And so he equipped his little army of 318, called them into service, and then he called the three ally friends of his in that area, and off they went, and God gave them a tremendous victory over those four kings. And he recovered all. But I want to tell you something. When we experience success, that should be the time we pray the most because we are under the most danger of falling into temptation. Look at Elijah up on the mountain. Stands up and he's the only one that represents God. He he prays and God sends fire down and burns all the stuff on his his altar. And in, in just... A few short hours after that huge victory, he is running for fear for his life. When we experience success, we must go to the Lord because what happens is we start to then depend upon ourselves and look inward and say, hey, I did, I did pretty good. And it's at that moment we become more vulnerable than ever before to the temptations of the devil and he's got one for you. And if you just let your guard down for a minute you will fall. You don't have to because God's promised. If you stay with me I will defend. So Abraham succumbs to these thoughts because he's had this victory he's now back at his own place and he's thinking, now wait a minute, what if those four kings go and recruit a bigger army, and they remember what I did to them, and they come down here and wipe me out, and now he starts to be fearful. Now, God knows when to encourage us, and so God came to Abraham in chapter 15, Chapter 15, verse 1. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. So he sees the Lord. And he said, the Lord said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. He's telling Abram, you don't have anything to worry about. Put your faith and trust in me. I gave you victory over those four kings. It wasn't your strength. It was me. I gave it to you. You put your faith and trust in me, I will take care of you. Abraham now looks to the Lord and he says, Lord, you promised me uh, children, uh, but I don't have any. So perhaps what you want is one of my servants to be my son, adopted son. And God said to him, Oh, no, somebody from your own body is going to be that promised child not not one of your servants and now look what it is here in chapter 15 verse 4 5 and 6 look what happens and behold the word of the lord came to him saying this one shall not be your heir that servant that he was talking about but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir then he brought him outside and said look now towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. You see those stars up there? Can you count them? No, there's too many. Well, that's what is going to happen with your descendants. There are going to be so many, you aren't going to be able to count them, just like you can't count the stars. Now, in the presence of God, in the presence of his affirmation and encouragement, in verse 6, the Bible records, and he, Abraham, Abram, Believed in the Lord and he, God, accounted it to him for righteousness. So Abraham believed God. His faith was strong when he was in the presence of God. So is your faith strong when you're in the presence of God? It's never safe to be outside of his presence. But in this situation, there was an extra measure of that presence. Abraham says to God, well, how am I going to know that you're going to do all that. And so God does something unique. But he does something that has ramifications that come right down to us. He said to Abraham, I'm going to to make a covenant for you, with you. A covenant just like uh, that happens that you're familiar with. What that covenant symboled was, uh, what that covenant was, and there was a symbol for it, they would take an animal, cut it in half, put it a little bit apart, and then they would walk through that uh, between those two parts and they would say, may this happen to me if I don't follow through with what I said. And that was their covenant. The interesting thing is, usually the strongest one made the weakest one walk through there. So if a a stronger king came over and he was going to uh, take a city, and, and the, young, uh, the king with a smaller city came out and said, hey, listen, I, I, I'll make a covenant with you. Then the stronger king would make the weaker king walk through there and say, hey, may this happen to me if I don't follow through with what I said. But the interesting thing about this is God doesn't make Abraham walk through that. He has Abraham set it all up, and then God himself walks through that in the symbol of a smoking oven or furnace and a flaming torch God is promising to be the God God is promising to do all of these things Abraham now it says believed what God said now you go to chapter 16 and it's a very interesting chapter because in chapter 16 Satan starts working on Sarah he goes to Sarah and says Sarah you know you're you're getting pretty old you're probably not going to be able to have any kids uh You know, but there might be a possibility, a way in which you can have a child. You know that surrogate mothering? Yeah, other people do it. You can do it. You've got a handmaiden, a slave. Hagar, she's yours. You give Hagar to Abraham, let Abraham and her have a baby, and that baby will be yours because Hagar belongs to you. And so Sarah now is convinced in her own mind that this is probably the only way in which she'll be able to have a child. But we need to remember that when God says something, he has a thousand ways to get it done that we don't even know about. And Sarah didn't know how God was going to do it. She kind of figured this was the way to do it. So in her simple way of thinking, she goes to Abraham. And she relays... Her plan to Abraham. Abraham then, in, in verse 2, it says So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restricted me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain a child, children by her. Now notice this next verse. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. It's interesting because the word used here that that Moses used, heeded, made the decision, is the same word, and it's only used one other place. It's the same word in chapter 3, verse 17, where Adam takes the fruit from Eve and decides to eat the fruit. The same word. And so there there is a connection here that Moses is making between the two. Abr- Abram chooses to do what Sarah said, and Hagar becomes pregnant. And now, it's, it's interesting to notice that God never recognized Abram's married, marriage to Hagar. She was ever the bondwoman, not his wife. Now, between chapter 17 between chapter 16 and chapter 17, 13 years transpire. And during that time, no direct communication is recorded between God and Abraham. But now in chapter 17, something happens. God comes and visits Abraham. And he visits him in a different way, a unique way. In verse Seventeen, Chapter 17, verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, so he's been walking on this faith journey for 24 years, been in the land of promise for a long time, now the Lord appears to Abram and says to him, I am Almighty God. Now, do you think he had to introduce himself because Abram didn't, didn't know who he was? Oh, no. God's on a mission here. He's bringing someone into accountability. And he looks at Abram and he says, I am almighty God. And then he says, walk before me. Notice he doesn't say walk beside me. He doesn't say walk behind me. He says, walk in front of me. You walk before me. Why? Why? Because there's an indication that there's something about him that's not right and it needs to get right. And then he adds this, and be blameless. He's not talking about moral perfection. This word is more wholehearted service. So he's saying, not only walk before me, but stay walking before me. How does Abraham respond? He falls on his face in reverence and obedience and submission. God is not happy with Abraham's do-it-yourself, fix-it-yourself situation. He's created a problem. But now God looks to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to change a name. You need a new name. Now instead of Abram, you're going to be Abraham, the father of a nation, And so, a little bit longer, later down the the way, he says, now, Abraham, do you remember that covenant that you and I had? Abraham, yes, he remembers. God walked through that covenant on his part, but Abraham didn't. God now says, Abraham, now I'm going to ask you to do your part, something you need to do. Your part is going to be circumcision. You tried to do this on your own, now I want you to surrender every aspect of your life to me recognizing that you're not doing this on your own. You're going to be doing it under my direction. And so he said, "Abraham, you and all the males in your in your encampment are to be circumcised. And from here on out, every child that is born, every male child that is born, from uh, When they're eight days old, they will be circumcised. And that's going to be a sign that you're going to do your part, I'm going to do my part. And then he says, oh, by the way, Abraham, I'm going to change your wife, Sarai's name, also. Her name is going to be Sarah, because she's going to have a child. And if you look down in verse 17, while all, when he said that, Abraham falls on his face, and do you notice that next word? He did what? He laughed. That's not a laughter of ha ha, that's funny. It's more of a silent disbelief. You mean to tell me that at my age, 99 years old, and Sarah, she's 89 years old, she's going to have a baby? You've got to be kidding. And God says, No. Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, verse 19, and you shall call his name Isaac. Abraham uh, says, oh, but may it be Ishmael. And God says, oh, no, it's not going to be Ishmael. I'll take care of Ishmael. It's going to be Sarah, and you're going to name the boy Isaac. As soon as God left, Abraham got up as his custom now is becoming. He got up and did exactly what God told him. Circumcised all, himself, everyone else in the camp. And I'm telling you, after he was done with that situation, he was convinced that God, what God said was true. Chapter 17 seals his faith on whether or not he's going to have a son. It's never a question for him after that but verse but chapter 18 sarah doesn't have the same belief and so in chapter 18 god visits abraham and sarah with two angels he came to talk to them about sodom that's true and 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 I, and, and abraham's Love for people in Lot and and, and his desire to, to see people saved came out in his interceding for the Sodomites. But he also came to talk to Sarah. And he told Sarah that she was going to have a son. Sarah did the same response that Abraham did she laughed. And God said, Why are you laughing? And she says, oh, I didn't laugh. And it wasn't the ha-ha laugh, but it was that laugh of disbelief. And and God says, no, you did laugh. Sarah had no response because now she knew she was in the presence of God. But from that time on, Sarah was convinced too. Lot, um, then it goes on in, in, in 19. And keeps going it's about Sodom but now we get over to to chapter 20 where it comes back into where Abraham is now Abraham was 99 years old when God told him that he was going to have a son told Sarah she was going to have a son reminded him so within that one year there's a lot of things that happen Abraham goes down to the Philistines the land of the Philistines. The Bible doesn't say why, but he goes down there. And when he gets down there, he starts to think again about safety. And he's thinking, no, wait a minute. Am I going to be safe? His faith is being tested on whether he's going to trust God to protect him or not. And he's thinking about that. And as he's thinking about those seeds of doubt, because the devil comes in and he plants those seeds of doubt in our minds. And if we allow them to stay there, we will succumb to those doubts. So when the devil puts a doubt in your mind and you recognize it, throw it out. Give it to God and don't dwell on it because if you dwell on it, you're going to succumb to it at some point. So he succumbs to this fear. And it comes right back. 20 years earlier, he had the same problem in Egypt. And now he's in, Philist- in the Philistine, land of the Philistines and this same situation comes back and he reverts back to his old bad habits. And so he tells Sarah again, Sarah, you're a beautiful woman. You're 89 years old, but you're a beautiful woman and somebody's going to want to kill you for me. No, I said that backwards. Somebody's going to want to kill me for you. So just let everybody know that you're my sister. Well, let me tell you, it wouldn't matter if Sarah was ugly. The devil had a plan. To destroy god's plan of of bringing that lineage of the messiah and so satan would have worked out some kind of detail to try to do it no matter what she looked like but the bible does say she was a very beautiful woman so under the direction of satan himself you can be sure of it when they got into that area someone told abimelech the king about sarah and he took sarah into his into his house God interceded again. He interceded in a in a unique way. He visits this Abimelech, this king of the Philistines, in a dream, and he tells Abimelech, he said, "You're a dead man." Now I don't know about you, but if I had a dream and I saw the Lord, and you know, there's the Lord can make it so that you know it's the Lord, and you know it's the Lord, and the Lord says, "You're a dead man." you're, You're gonna wow. What did I do? And so Abimelech says that, and Lord, what did I do? You took another man's wife. What? Sarah told me that she was his sister. And he said that he, he said that Sarah said that Abraham was his brother, her brother. And Abraham said that Sarah was his sister. And God says, Yeah, I know you're innocent, and that's why I'm telling you, I'm keeping you from doing any dishonoring Sarah. So he said, you need to have Abraham come and pray for you. And when Abraham prays for you, you, you'll be healed. But if you don't return Sarah, you're going to die. Well, I can tell you when the sun came up, he was right on it. And he called Abraham in and he says, Abraham, what did you do to me? Why did you lie to me? How could you do this thing to me? And again, Abraham couldn't say anything because he was guilty. But Abraham did pray for him, and he was healed. Now, it's interesting. The Bible says that in in chapter 20, verse 18, it says, The Lord had closed up the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And he has Abraham pray for him so that the wombs of those wives of his will be opened up, and they can have children. In chapter 21, the promised child is born. And it isn't long. It was joy in Sarah's life, joy in Abraham's life, but it wasn't long before there was no peace in the camp. Because for 13 years, Ishmael has been groomed to be the promised child, the child of promise. And now you have Isaac, and he's probably about three years old now when they... uh, when Sarah was weaning him. And Sarah observed that Ishmael was jealous. And so she went to Abraham and she said, Abraham, this can never be. You've got to get rid of, you've got to get rid of Hagar and you've got to get rid of Ishmael. It'll never work. Now, Abraham's habit has been that he is now going to the Lord before he makes his own decisions. Something that we have to learn on a regular basis. And so now instead of making the decision himself, he goes before the Lord and he says, Lord, what do I do? What what should I do? And the Lord said, you do what Sarah had said. I'll take care of Ishmael. I'll take care of Hagar. But you can't have them under the same roof. And so Abraham sends them on their way. God takes care of them. And now there is peace in Abraham's home for 17 years. For 17 years. Now Abraham is 120 years old. 120 years old. He's been walking with the Lord in this faith journey for a long time. 45 years. He is becoming more and more and more like God because by beholding you become changed. So he's... His characteristics are changing. And now God says it's time. It's time to give you a test of your faith. You know, God knows. The Bible says that we will never, God will never allow a temptation to come upon us that he doesn't allow a a way of escape for us. He won't allow you to be overcome by any temptation. So whatever temptation is coming on you, you have to claim by faith that promise and say, that I, I know, Lord, you're going to give me the strength to get through this because you promised it. Abraham now is sleeping. God comes to him in chapter 22. And it, pick up in chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him abraham and he said here i am which was his accustomed response to whatever the lord said now here i am meaning i'm ready to do what you tell me to do then he said take now your son your only son isaac whom you love and go to the land of moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering On one of the mountains which I will tell you. Now, I don't know if how you would relate to that if you were a father or a mother. And God was, you knew it was God. And God was to tell you that. What would you do? Abraham worked that thing over in his mind, over and over. Satan was right there to fill in all the kinds of gaps and to add all kinds of of thoughts to his mind. Surely this isn't the God, God telling you this because God would never ask you to murder somebody. But Abraham knew God. He was his friend. He knew him personally. His faith wasn't based on some theory. It was based on a knowledge of who God was as a person. And so even though Abraham doesn't understand He doesn't understand the why. He still decides to obey God no matter what. And so he gets up and he gets Isaac and off they go to the land of Moriah. Now, I know that when people read this story, questions come up in their minds. What? How could God tell someone to make their, their child a human sacrifice. God hates that. He abhors it. How could you do that? Surely that wasn't God that would do that. But let me ask you a couple of questions. First of all, is it possible for God to murder? Well, what is murder? Murder is taking something, life, that doesn't belong to you. But God is the source and owner of all life. So he's not taking anything that isn't his. It's impossible for him to murder anything. It's impossible for him to steal anything because it's all his. You see, the question is really casting doubt on God's goodness, his justice, and ultimately his authority. To doubt God's promises or his love is to dishonor him because to doubt is to question his character and his word. We are in rebellion against God and Satan tries to undermine God's authority with doubt. Satan and all sinners stand in judgment over what God does. We question everything. Not so we can understand and obey, but we, we set ourselves up as the deciding true conversion involves we own nothing except what God gave us, our will and the power of choice submit to him in all things. That's true conversion. See, Abraham passed this test Abraham demonstrated his allegiance to God. He showed that God was supreme, and he appropriately is known as the father of the faithful. Our faith journey is a lifelong journey, but at the resurrection, it will start up again. And we will continue that faith walk through eternity. For that process of salvation, that process of walking with God, that journey with God will never end. We will always need the power of God. I want to say this. Many teach and believe That when we accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, we become saved. But that word saved is past tense, complete allegiance to God. And then once you've reached complete time, you see anything less than that and the seeds of sin would still be in existence. The process of salvation starts by accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord. God takes us where we are. But then the beauty of this whole process of salvation is that God takes responsibility for your salvation and for mine. Philippians 1, 6 says it's God who's going to finish the work that he began in us. God takes ownership of that salvation. All he requires is that ultimate commitment of our will to God, which is the only thing. And because he gave it to you, he won't take it from you. You have to give. But if you give, your until we come to the point where we will want to God, we will be like God. Is through submission to God. Submit. want to submit your will to God? So, but just putting your faith and trust in God and moving where you are, at home, in the car, here in this auditorium. We're on this faith journey, and we have failed you so many times. Bad decision. You'll not choose to sin. And if we continually allow you to have our will, we will. Tonight, we give it to you. But we also ask that you will teach us to give it, not just today, tonight, but Tomorrow and the next day, and the next day, until it becomes such a habit that we'll never take that will away from you. We will constantly submit that will to you. So, Father, we're asking for you to do mighty things in us, but all to the glory and power of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse